Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Do you know what day it is today, Jeff? Uh, it's a Tuesday, like a normal Tuesday. Like, I, I, I don't. It's July 11th. It's Amazon Prime Day. <laughs> I forgot. Have you bought a lot of stuff? I totally forgot that this was happening. Uh, well, no. it's early for you. It's nine in the morning, so you haven't had time yet to react. You haven't had your morning coffee. Exactly. Um, I went to Amazon and I bought so much cat food. <laughs> That's all I bought. I, I don't care about anything else. I don't need another SD card. I've got three sitting in a drawer that haven't been opened yet. I used to on Prime Day and Black Friday buy an SD card. You never know. It's always good to have. And it's like they're all just sitting around unused. You've so, got plenty. Yeah. And, and I didn't find anything and I didn't see any camera accessories or anything. So we shouldn't even talk about cameras today, should we? Well, wait a minute. Not talk about cameras at all? We can talk about cameras a little bit, but we, we wanted to talk about an important photographer accessory, which oh, is – Oh, yes, which is coffee. No, tea. No, no, coffee. You said we are going no, to talk tea. about coffee today. No, I said we are going to talk about an important photographer accessory, which is Just tea. coffee. Right. Okay. There's – Caffeine. <laughs> but we'll split the difference and call it caffeine. I think uh, probably the last two or three times we've gotten together to record this podcast, we've started with some discussion of coffee or tea and it just it, you know, chatter as we're just warming up basically. And you had the great idea a few weeks ago to say, well, why don't we just do an entire episode about this? Because – I mean, honestly, it's very important in my life. It's super important in photography and especially – I mean, if you want to tie this directly to photography, it can be extremely important if you are, say, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do a sunrise shoot <laughs> or even just – you just need a little bit of caffeine boost to, I don't know, do a photo shoot or just make it through your day. Or those long editing sessions, which it, the coffee at night, if you're doing night editing, not a good idea. Single malt whiskey, much better for that. But caffeine is – I want to bet that 100 percent of our listeners consume caffeine, though maybe not. Let's say 98 because there are people who don't like coffee, don't like tea for various reasons. Sure. And you are obsessed by coffee because you're in the coffee capital of the United States. I wouldn't say the world because over there in Europe, they're – they, you know, coffee is different. Totally different. I've been obsessed with tea for, oh, what, 20 years, 30 years since I first really had good tea. Which to me is a mystery because I've obviously had tea, but I've never gotten like into tea the way I've gotten into coffee. And so for me, tea is just tea. Like I'm not quite on the, the Ted Lasso scale of all tea is just dirt water. But there are some people who will say, well, in the morning you have this tea and then in the afternoon this is a better tea and maybe later on if you want something that's more of a pick-me-up or something more soothing or whatever. That is completely beyond me. But I also know people like yourself who that's what they use to get them through the day. Like that's their thing. But you make it sound like 
get them through the day. It's like a crutch. It's not. It's a delicious beverage, which adds to the sensory experiences of my day. Let me tell you my story. 1993, um, I was working, I lived in Tour France and I was working for a company whose headquarters were in Paris. So once a month I would go into Paris, I would meet with, I was teaching English as a foreign language in the company to executives and I'd meet with the English teacher in Paris. We'd talk a little bit. Um, I'd go to buy some books for my courses and then I'd take the TGV home from uh, Gare Montparnasse. And so one day, I was like an hour early, so I was just wandering around in the area. And if you've been in Paris, that area has a lot of shopping. Um, there are some big shops and small shops and little streets. And I stumbled on this tea store kind of off a of main avenue on a side street. And I had been familiar with drinking loose leaf tea, those aluminum twinings boxes you can get in the supermarkets of various things, English breakfast, Lapsang, Souchong, Earl Grey, etc. Yeah. And I had never had good tea. And I'm kind of curious about food. That was back then. So I went in and I said to the guy, look, I don't really know anything about good tea. What can I try? And they had a big, I guess you'd call it a samovar, where they had um, a type of tea that was there. And he made me a cup and I tasted it. And it was a revelation. Um, I remember it was a first flush Darjeeling. I don't remember which guard. And I'll explain that later. Okay. I remember it was 135 francs for 100 grams which would have been about 20-odd dollars for 100 grams at the time, a little bit less, 18, 60, whatever. Um, but that's the kind of price that you pay for tea. Of course, it's cheaper than coffee per cup, uh, even good tea. Um, and I remember that this was so good that I think the, the company had already started selling online or maybe not, and every time I went to Paris, I would buy more tea. But this hooked me, and I went to try the various kinds of teas. And since then, it's I have probably two dozen different teas in the house at any time. Wow. Okay, wait. And for perspective, 100 grams of tea, how long will that last you? Because for for a moment, I, I thought that, that like yeah. they put that much in a cup, but that – that can't be. I mean, that would just be <laughs> no. That's unreal. Like, that's like fifty cups. Oh, okay, okay. That's depending on the tea. Some tea a little bit more. Some tea a little bit less. So let's say thirty to fifty, depending on the tea. Okay, all right. Which that's why I said it's much cheaper than coffee because for coffee, a hundred grams you're going to get what 10, 10, 20 cups at most. About twenty grams of ground coffee is what I use for a cup. Right. So compared to two or three grams for tea. Yeah. So. Ten times the weight for coffee. So anyway, work it out. Yeah. Tea, good tea is cheaper than good coffee per cup. Totally. Now, you're in Seattle, which is the coffee capital of the United States. And I was just looking this up on Wikipedia. Um, apparently, coffee got very popular in the 2000s when they started having bikini baristas. Oh. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's that's um, actually that is not why it, it became popular, but that's a hilarious Wikipedia entry. <laughs> well, it's you know, and then there's a link to Bikini Barista, and there's a picture. Yep, bottoms up espresso. It, um, apparently, they're all over this drive-through places. There's it is a yeah. thing. Yeah. So how 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 did you get into coffee? Because you don't just drink. You don't drink instant coffee. That instant coffee is the equivalent of tea and tea bags, right? You drink. You've got a subscription, don't you? Uh, yeah. So here's my story. When I was in college, uh, you know me. I tend to be a late nighter. Uh, oftentimes, get a lot of my my work done at night. And so in college, especially, 
I needed something to help me stay awake and so I was just drinking soda, you know, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper. Uh, never could get into Mountain Dew even though everybody else was into Mountain Dew because it has like so much caffeine but it uh, yeah. tastes awful. Uh, however, all that sugar was just turning me inside out from the inside. So I came back to Seattle one Christmas and I want to say this is probably like 1989 maybe. And my dad took me to the Bellevue Square Mall where Nordstrom had a coffee cart. So there were coffee houses, like there were a few coffee houses around, but they were sort of a, I don't know, like a holdover from kind of the 60s, 70s coffee house culture. And here was Nordstrom with a coffee cart and it was an espresso cart and – so I, uh, being the snotty little college student that I was sometimes, I was like, oh, you know, my dad's going to take me out for a latte. We're going to get espresso. And he was sort of like, yeah, shut up here. Try this. And <laughs> I got a mocha, which is, uh, you know, espresso, milk, and chocolate. And it was great. And it had lots of caffeine and it blew my mind. And so – that basically got me into getting like a little tiny, you know, Mr. Coffee that I had in my dorm room and then I would get a box or like a, a can of hot chocolate mix and mix that in. So th that was really like my gateway drug to the actual drug of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> As the coffee culture really exploded and the, they call it like craft coffee now. As that really exploded in the 90s and the, the 2000s, my coffee interest just continued and I can still remember sort of like my, I don't know, newest uh, revelation. I was in San Francisco for a Macworld Expo and I went to Blue Bottle Coffee and I had a infused coffee. It's a siphon brewer. That's the term. And – Basically, like the heat draws the coffee down into the water and then as it cools, the coffee – like the blended brewed coffee gets drawn back up and gets turned into just basically a cup of coffee. And it's beautiful. It's not like a percolator. It's not It's not like a percolator. It's – Okay. It's a whole other thing. Um, maybe it has like some of the same properties. I don't know. I've I've never really had good percolator coffee. But what amazed me about this and it was some sort of like of course very good coffee like the coffee itself was 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 very good. Um and I want to say it was probably something from Africa, something lighter roasted. And the thing that got me was first of all it was beautiful and I had my camera and I was took, taking pictures. But second of all, it got better as it cooled because oftentimes you drink coffee and you're just like, boom, here it is. And in this case, it got – I mean you know, not when it was cold, but it got fruitier and just had a lot more taste to it and that blew my mind. And I was already kind of a coffee snob before, but that kind of pushed <laughs> me over the edge a little bit. Wait till you discover wine. Oh, I've just the way you just described that coffee. I've discovered wine, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So I, I lived in France for a long time, and most people drink coffee there kind of the way the Italians do. They go up to a cafe, they stand at a bar, they get the espresso, they down it in one shot. It's like it's – like I, I don't do this, but I see in movies young people going to bars and doing shots of tequila, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They don't really taste it very much. Now, interestingly, there was a – I'll try to find a link to it. There's a radio show in, uh, in the BBC called In Our Time, which talks about history. And they had an episode about coffee, and they explained about the rise of the coffee culture in the 17th century. And there was something different about Italy that coffee was taxed differently if you sat down to drink it. Mm-hmm. So everyone would go and they would stand up. And you've been in Italy. You see all the coffee bars. People are standing up. You can sit down in France. In fact, you, you see people outside cafes sitting down. But you see an awful lot of people who go up to the bar and down the shot. And, and I find that sad that – any cafe in France has a very good espresso machine, and the sort of nominal benchmark of espresso in France is pretty good. And yet they're just downing it and walking away, maybe smoking a cigarette afterwards, which is, you know, totally <laughs> It kind of ruins the whole thing. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, well, so I actually – when I was in France and Italy, uh, I went and I did that a few times. And it's not just like, just like um, you know – Pounding a shot just to, just to get it in your system. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a good shot of espresso has a lot of flavor, and you can. I mean, you can sip it, but you generally tend to like have a little sip and then just sort of finish it off. And it is really good. Like there is a sort of satisfying element to doing it that way. And I will fully admit that I just like doing it because. Like that's what everybody else was doing. Like I'm in Italy, <laughs> stepping up to an espresso bar, having an espresso, getting my espresso, having like you know a little croissant on the side, and then you know making my way to the rest of the day. Which I think also brings up the topic of how much of this is ritual, because there's so much involved. Actually. I don't know how much ritual there is with tea. You can tell me in a second. But with coffee, there's a lot of ritual. I mean there are so many ways that you can make it. But even just that act of going to the espresso bar, making your order, you're there with a bunch of people and you you just have your espresso and you move on. Like that is experience even though it's a – short truncated experience or you go to a coffee house and you sit and you read and you enjoy a longer coffee, that sort of thing. It's just interesting to me that there's so much about the experience of this and not just, oh, what kind of tea are you drinking today kind of a thing. With tea, there is a ritual and I'll talk about actual tea ritual in a minute. There is a ritual of getting my paraphernalia, my mug, my tea strainer, uh, boiling the water to the right temperature, choosing the tea I'm going to drink from my two dozen different types of tea. And I have to remember not only what each tea is like, but how much to use, because for some teas, you use more tea and for others, you use less. And then you pour it on, you let it steep and you take it out at the right time. And of course, some people actually use timers. I find it more interesting to let chance do that for me. If I remember after three minutes, I take it out. If it stays five minutes, that's okay because it's going to taste different. I think one of the big differences in good tea is that there are so many types. Now, yes, you have coffee from different countries, but it's still coffee, coffee, right? It's Arabica, Robusta, but 
there's not that much of a difference. Oh, no. I'm going to read you the – hold on. No, no, no. <laughs> go no, ahead. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not in classification. I'm going to read you the different types of tea from a Wikipedia article, um, processing and classification. So white tea is tea that's wilted and unoxidized. Yellow tea is unwilted and unoxidized, but it's allowed to yellow. Remember, it's the chlorophyll in the leaves that does things, right? Green tea is unwilted and unoxidized. Oolong tea is wilted, bruised, and partially oxidized. Now, the oxidation gives it the color. So oolong is anywhere from a dark green to a brown. Black tea is wilted, sometimes crushed, and fully oxidized. And post-fermented dark tea, or called puar, which is a Chinese tea, is allowed to ferment almost like a compost, and it, it ages for a long time. It's one of the more expensive teas. You can buy 100-year-old puar teas. What's interesting is that each one of these, let's just think green, oolong, black, the main types of tea. Not too many people will drink white or yellow. Um, I have a couple white teas. I love them. I have one yellow tea. It's not that common. But they're all different stages in the process of processing the tea, right? Um, how long they're oxidized, how dark they get. There are some green teas that were historically fried in a wok, and now they're done in a different way, probably on a on a big table or something like that. Um, one of the best known is Longjing or Dragon Well. Uh, the leaves are long and flat, and you can taste the slight the pyrogenic flavor, the the flavor of them being cooked a little bit. So there's a really wide range of uh, different styles, green, oolong, black, etc., but also the way they're processed. Now, I know in coffee, it's it's the terroir that matters, where it comes from. Um, it's the strength of the coffee, but it's all black. No, it's not. <laughs> well, tell me about it. So, uh, I mean, I think to a certain extent, yes, but the where it's from makes a big difference. And like, like personally, I tend to favor beans that have come from Africa. Um, like Yirgacheff is is one type. Uh, beans from Ethiopia, um, Kenya. So there's where they come from, and there's a wide variety in how they're grown, what elevation they're grown at, but. In general, the reason I like those areas is because they tend to be a bit more fruity. Now, the whole spectrum of, of coffee drinkers, you have some people who they like things really rich and robust and that sort of dark coffee feel. I tend to be more on the, the lighter side. And that then goes from not just where it comes from but – how the beans are processed, so there are different ways of processing. Right, how they're roast, and that's the that's the wild card in coffee. Um, the roasting can take a great bean and make it terrible, or take a mediocre bean and make it okay. Right. Well, and, and actually, I hadn't even gotten to roasting yet. So the, the way the beans are processed after they've been harvested, um, what, what they do basically they they get rid of the the outer fruit and and so your coffee bean is the seed inside the fruit and there are different ways of drying it and you know like some places they just sit them out in the air and they they rake them until they're all completely dried and so so there's like that sort of processing but then you're right then there's the roasting and the roasting there's a massive difference in how things are roasted and so Again, like I tend to like lighter roasted 
coffees because it, it, it brings out more of that fruity flavor. But like for example, my wife, she doesn't like those as much because to her, those are more sour. So mm. the, the difference between fruity and sour I think also depends on, on people's palates. And an important It's part, genetic I think. The it, way people taste certain things like that, yeah. It could be, yeah. And another thing to consider is that – you know, with with your teas, I'm making a broad generalization, but I think that your teas are are going to come from like the same bush. Do they mix and match different species and things to make a blend of tea? Or uh, see, so now we so now we get into as I said, I was going to talk about the first flush Darjeeling um, in the Dar Darjeeling region, which I would call it the champagne of tea. Mm -hmm. um, there are four flushes or harvest, and the first flush is in the spring, where they pick the first two leaves in the bud. This is generally green, flowery, and astringent, and you're going to buy tea from a particular garden, right? So you're going to get. A specific tea. You can also buy blends that are blends from multiple gardens um, where someone's bought up a lot of second-rate tea to blend it together for, you know, people who drink tea with milk like English people. Um, <laughs> but m most of the tea that I drink is garden tea in the sense that it's not a blend. It is a, generally a very small garden, you know, not even hundreds of acres, a lot of these things. Yeah. So with coffee, for a long time, that blend was the default. You know, if if you go back and look at the history of coffee, basically like any old crappy coffee would just get harvested for cheap and then blended with other coffees to improve the flavor or at least make it more palatable. I mean, this is still the case I think probably for most coffee. You don't know where it comes any from. Any coffee you buy in a supermarket. Pretty much, yeah. Well, it, not any most. Most. Most, yeah. Like your cans of bulk coffee, right? You'll just get like yeah. French roast coffee. You don't know where it comes from or anything like that. And You don't even know what French roast is. Well, you don't even know what French – you lived in France. <laughs> they don't have French roast coffee. I know. They really don't. It's like – and one of the wonderful things I liked in Paris and, and I mentioned before the show, I love the smell of coffee. Oh, yeah. Um, you'd walk around Paris in any sort of – area where there's a lot of food shops and you always have a couple of coffee roasters there mm -hmm. roasting on the spot. And that's really good because you get it roasted and you take it home and you make it right away. And that's like the peak period. Yeah. Um, if if you want to do it, grind your own beans and do the whole thing. That's the best way. Have you ever had Kopi Luwak? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that well. I think you're pronouncing it correctly. I have not because I tend to not throw my money away. <laughs> I throw my but money away on camera gear. <laughs> This is supposed to be good. This is known, according to Wikipedia, as civet coffee, a coffee that consists of partially digested coffee cherries, which have been eaten and defecated by the Asian palm civet, which is a kind of a wild cat. Yeah. Um, from what I have heard is it's – there's nothing really special about it other than the fact that it comes out the back of a cat and then it gets turned into marketing. coffee. Yeah. 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 Marketing. Lots of marketing. Lots of marketing. Yeah. So just to finish up my little history of coffee, what has, has emerged in the last, say, 20 years is being able to distinguish where specific coffee is coming from. And so you'll have things – Provenance. 
Providence where rather than just saying this is a coffee from Africa or from Ethiopia, you can get single origin coffees where the roaster has a deal with a specific farm and you know that it came from this specific farm. And that right. ends up costing more but there's the whole ecosystem of the the farmers tend to make more money and can actually you know make a living on those types of coffees versus the big bulk things. Yeah, they have what they call fair trade coffee here, which I'm assuming they use the same term in the states. Yeah, fair trade is like um, another categorization, and I think uh, well, it's a commitment that they're working with farmers who are getting paid well because most of them get abused. Yeah, yeah, basically. yeah, exactly. Or historically, a lot of them got abused, and so there was a big Still reaction do. against that. Yeah. Probably prompted by the bikini baristas who wanted to know that they were serving good coffee. <laughs> All right. I will just state for the record here. Uh, yes, there are bikini baristas. Uh, actually, there's one fairly close to, to the grocery store where I shop. Uh, I have never gone to a bikini barista because – It's OK. I have no idea what the coffee is like. Like I would but be the nerdy matter? guy. I would be the nerdy guy that's like, yes, but how did you prepare that? Yeah, but you're in Seattle. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would ask that. Yeah, yeah, probably. So we got to talking, I think, uh, before our last episode. Um, for me, the ritual of tea is I generally have a first flush Darjeeling first thing in the morning. I sit down. I look at the news. I do the New York Times spelling bee, maybe check my email. Um, a couple hours later, I have a green tea. After lunch, often a black tea, and then in the afternoon, an oolong. And oolong is good because it often has less caffeine, so I've got a oolong right now that I'm drinking. Um, and I can – sometimes I'll even drink tea in the early evening. Again, uh, any tea has uh, orders of magnitudes of caffeine less than any coffee. Um, although there are some very light coffees and some very strong teas, but uh, on average, tea is, I don't know, a fifth or a tenth of the amount of caffeine as coffee. So there are oolongs that I can drink in the evening when it's cool – um, and for me, this is like the milestones of a day, right? Generally have four mugs of tea, maybe five. And it's like my day is segmented. Um, my second cup of tea in the morning is like, okay, I'm going to take a break and have another cup of tea. And so it's built into my work routine. Absolutely. I typically start with a cup of pour over coffee. So I'll typically make a coffee for my wife and I. And I just have a um, – we'll put links in the show notes. But um, I have this this Kosori pour-over. It's only like $30. It's glass. And um, I grind my beans uh, because actually if you want to have good coffee, grind your own beans. Grind your own beans. Uh, yeah. It's, worth, it's, it's, it's so much more than worth it. It is. And you can, you can grind it and put it in the freezer and it will keep and eh, – no. no, you don't like that? That's not as good because ice crystals form and then when it, when it thaws out, it, it, it's not really great. So I mean, yes. Okay. Yes. You can absolutely do that. If, it's better than pre-ground coffee. It's better than pre-ground coffee. It's much better than instant coffee from the store. Although I will but say – that's not even coffee, is it? <laughs> well, surprisingly, like if you've had any of the um, – oh, what do they call it? Like Starbucks has an instant coffee and it is surprisingly not terrible. And I know that that sounds like a backhanded compliment. But the, the science of making instant coffee has actually improved 
a lot in the last like say decade and a half. And so there are times when – I mean I will throw a couple packets of the instant coffee when I go camping for example. If I don't want to get out my hand grinder and do a little pour over, just having a little instant coffee, it's fine. It's not the best coffee. It's like don't even expect that but it is palatable which surprised yeah. the heck out of me. My – I mean when I was a kid, my parents had instant coffee and it was you know heat up the kettle on the stove, put a couple scoops of coffee in and that was quote unquote coffee and which is probably Brown why – which is probably why I didn't yeah. like coffee at all until I was in college because it was just this, this yeah. nasty thing. But like you, I always loved the smell of coffee and then you drink yeah. the instant. It would just be like bleh. So, yeah. so I I tend to start off with the pour over, and then in the afternoon, probably like two or three. And again, like you said, like when I need to get up, take a break, stretch my legs, uh, I will often make an espresso or maybe a latte or maybe like a macchiato um, with an espresso machine that I have, and um, which is actually I have a, a La Pavoni Euro Piccolo, which is uh, a <laughs> I know it's, it sounds funny to say, but um, it's it, it's sort of weird in the sense that uh, it is a a lever machine, so it doesn't have a pump. It is more old fashioned, where you know you bring the heat up, you infuse the, the the puck of coffee, and then you push the lever down, and that that provides the force of the extraction. It, it was in one of the offices that I shared. Uh, early in the I don't know two thousands I guess um, we had one of those so I learned how to make it there and then my wife bought this one for me for our tenth anniversary. And it's really expensive. It's yeah, it's like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it looks it looks like one of those things in Doctor Frankenstein's lab. Yes. Right? Oh, it, it's it's beautiful. <laughs> it's 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 chrome. I'll I'll put a, a picture in the show notes. Um, it, yeah. It's it's chrome. Um, it, it is finicky. Like it, you have to have a really good grinder that can grind really fine. And if you are interested in getting into espresso, my advice is, and this is pretty general advice, um, you will spend money. That's also kind of part of the problem with 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 coffee. You can either do something really inexpensively, or you can spend a absurd amount of money. But um, kind of like photography, kind of like photography, exactly. But uh, spend the money on the grinder, not the espresso machine. You will get mm. more consistent and better results with a good grinder and a you know mediocre espresso machine. Then if you spend a huge amount of money on an espresso machine and a grinder that can't actually grind for that machine. So interesting. Yeah. That's typically the two coffees that I'll have during the day. And if I am working late, I might have an espresso in the evening. Um but but mm. that's that's when I That's gonna keep you up until the until after midnight. That helps me yeah, keep me up until one or two if I'm on a deadline or something. Yeah. Very quickly, I want to talk about matcha. Um, oh, matcha yeah. is a green powdered tea, and that's the Japanese tea ceremony. And no time to go into it. Look it up. It's it's really it's an art form. It's an aesthetic, um, sensory experience. 
I want to make a recommendation. Don't drink matcha. <laughs> Don't go any place where they sell matcha. It's going to be crap. <laughs> if you really want to drink matcha, you've got to learn how to make it and you've got to buy ceremonial grade matcha. Um, there are places who sell it. I bought a few little tins. They're 25 pounds for 20 or 30 grams. And so that's maybe um, 20 or 30 cups. So it's a pound a cup, basically. You... You have to get the implements, the, the little bamboo whisk and everything. You have to learn how to do it to whisk it correctly. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, but don't buy like matcha at Starbucks or any coffee shop and unless it's like a proper matcha coffee shop, like serious. You, you will just have something that's so insipid you'll never want to drink it again. I love matcha. It's just I can't, I can't justify the expense. I once bought a... Um, an award-winning matcha. I think it was 20 grams. It was about 90 pounds. I said, I want to taste what the best stuff is like. It was definitely better than the 25 and 30 pound stuff, but not worth three or four times as much. Yeah. Um, so don't drink it. You'll be disappointed. You'll get crap <laughs> matcha um, and you'll hate it. Matcha is interesting. It's a type of tea that is shaded for the last few weeks before it's picked. Uh, then it's ground into a powder. So you drink the whole thing. You don't steep it. You drink the water with the powder um, kind of in suspension. Um, delicious. It has some sort of chemical thing because of the shading that there's a chemical that counteracts the caffeine. So while there's a lot of caffeine in it, this other chemical nullifies the caffeine effect. It kind of gives you an up and down buzz at the same time. So you don't get that, you know, racing heart that you'd get from, you know, really strong coffee. Yeah. Interesting. But it's got to be good matcha. It's got to be ceremonial grade. Now, see, when I encounter matcha these days, it, it's like as an additive into things. So there is culinary grade matcha, which is basically to provide the green color and a hint of flavor. Yeah. But it's not something you should ever drink as tea. It's evil. Okay. Good to know. All right. So from my side of things in terms of, of, of sourcing, because I haven't even really talked about like, like where I get beans, um, I have to admit that most of what I drink is Starbucks, um, which – well, but because because my wife works there, <laughs> right? And so, so you get free coffee. So we get um, yeah some free coffee. Um, however, I also have a subscription to a coffee service called Yes Please. It's Y E S P L Z, and they send me a bag every month. Um, you can you know do it every week, every two weeks, whatever. Uh, but what I like about them is. Um, a, I know one of the guys behind it, but also they are making blends, but they're they're blending with intent, and it tends to be lighter. It tends to be uh, you know, really good for say pour over coffee, and um, it, it's going to be different every time. Like like the, the different types of beans they put in every single time is different, but it has the same sort of general profile. I guess that makes sense. Um, and then if you're interested in exploring a bunch of different coffees, um, a service that I used to use but haven't since I switched over to Yes Please is Crema C-O, C-R-E-M-A dot C-O. And it's kind of like Netflix – well, the old Netflix. It's <laughs> I, I, the, one, the ones where they sent you DVDs. When they sent you DVDs. Basically, you, you, uh, you take a little quiz. You set up a profile of what kind of coffees you like and then it makes recommendations and they work with a bunch of different roasters. And you make a list 
and they send you like the thing at the top of your list and then, you know, a month or whatever time period, then they send you the next one. And it's a good way to figure out, oh, I do tend to like maybe more medium roast coffees rather than lighter roast coffees. So it's really good for uh, experimenting and, and seeing what you like. So that's a good service. So that's your snapshot. Uh, no, but but we could, sure. Yeah, because we're at 38 <laughs> minutes already. and That's my um, snapshot. There we go. <laughs> that's your snapshot. I don't have any tea recommendations for the U.S. because I get my tea here in the U.K., uh, I, I don't – you'd have to look it up. The only thing I can recommend is that you try a lot of different teas. Don't be scared by the prices because, again, you you make far more cups of tea for 100 grams than you do of 100 grams of coffee and or measured in ounces or whatever it is. Try at least one or two green teas. Um, I particularly like the Longjing, L-O-N-G-J-I-N-G or Dragon Well, which is Chinese or Japanese Sencha which is it has this wonderful umami, iodine sort of seawater taste to it, which sounds strange, but when you taste it, you'll you'll appreciate it. First flush Darjeeling's, they're expensive, but they're worth it. Um, I, I like white tea. There are all sorts. I like Chinese blacks and oolongs. And, and oolongs, there are range, they range from barely fermented to heavily fermented. Some of them taste like, I want to say, the forest floor, which is a term that the French use when they're talking about wine, the, the, the sous-bois, the, mm. the taste, you know, that smell that you get in the forest of the leaves slowly decomposing. Some of them taste like that. Some of them are grassy. So there's such a wide range. If you can find a good tea shop, either online or in person, and you can say, I want to discover tea, I really take a chance. It'll be, you know, 20 bucks here, 20 bucks there or whatever. Buy small quantities, try it. You might be convinced. So my snapshot is just a recommendation to go try some tea. Don't buy it in the supermarket. Oh, OK. That, that was going to be my question. Do you ever buy any in the supermarket or like for your tea, do you just order it from someplace? Is that what you do? Yeah, I, I order it online. Yeah, okay. I would never buy in the supermarket except for basic tea that I used to make iced tea in the summer. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And that's just any kind of black tea. A couple tablespoons for two liters of water and then boom, that's it. Nice. Iced tea is fine too. Um, the, the iced tea, lemon, sugar, I make it when the weather's warm. Uh, and it's fine because, you know, it's it's a beverage. It's not a tea. That. Yeah. Now, in our next episode, we'll talk about herbal infusions <laughs> and <laughs> because that's a whole other world. There are so many wonderful things out there. Um, but I think that's enough for now, don't you? <laughs> no, no. Well, see, now now we have to talk about uh, coffees that have flavors added to them, like like oh, see, cinnamon yeah. coffees and no. I can't. Uh, no. I can't do that with tea either. Um, th there are a couple of exceptions. I do like the occasional smoked tea. Um, okay, like smoking once every I think couple would be a months. different thing. Yeah, yeah. I do like good jasmine tea. So the good jasmine tea made in China, they mix the tea with jasmine flowers, but then they take them out after a few hours. So it's just a hint of the jasmine flavor. The bad jasmine tea is where you see the flowers in the tea and it's really bitter. Ah. Um, Earl Grey is, is really kind of interesting because it's bergamot, which is a small citrus fruit. And a very light Earl Grey is something I can drink occasionally. Um, but there are tons of flavored teas in there for all the people who don't like tea. Yeah, uh, it, it's you know it's like cheap wine. They take a cheap tea, they throw some raspberries in it, and boom. Yeah, I I actually like Earl Grey tea with 
milk and sugar. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But but that's also because uh, basically that's how my wife courted me. She yeah. in, invited me over to do homework in her dorm, and and she had that tea. So you know, fair point. Fair point. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stay away from the weird flavorings. Go for go yeah. for good things that are uh, that are I don't know genuine. Okay, next time we'll talk about photography again. We'll have a guest um, who's really interesting. Till next time, Jeff. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.